but it seems to either we're getting better or everyone's getting better at hunting them, but they just keep getting bigger and more of them. You know what I mean? You see, I think it's either they're expanding more and there's more of them. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Hunting Camp Down Under. Today's episode is brought to you by Exo Mountain Gear. I've been using the Exo Packs for several years now and was super impressed with not only the pack but the support from the team at Exo Mountain Gear. The Exo range of packs are now very well known for their comfort, durability, simplicity and excellent load hauling capabilities. The packs come in three different sizes, so whether it's a day hunt or a 10 day backpack hunt, there's a pack that will suit you. If you're in the market for a new pack, make sure an Exo Pack is on your hit list. Check out the range of packs at exomountaingear.com. Guys, this podcast is brought to you by Cayuga Broadheads. Now, broadheads can be somewhat of a personal thing and are well debated. But Cayuga's new Pilot Cut Broadhead have been designed, tested and proven by some of Australia's top bow hunters. The Cayuga Pilot Cuts come in weights of 125, 150 and 175 grains. The guys have teamed up with the podcast and are offering you guys as our loyal listeners an exclusive discount. Head over to cayugabroadheads.com.au and use the code HCDU10 on checkout and receive 10% off any order. Right, man, here we go. You want Jake or Jacob? Jake, mate. <laughs> Ryan, your Jacob. mother calls me Jake or the, Jacob or the police. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, mate, Jake, welcome to the podcast, buddy. How are you? I'm good, mate. Yourself? Good, man, good. Mate, um, we've also been chatting here for a little bit, so we're uh, we're warmed up. Um, I've given you the run round for a week. <laughs> oh, mate, <laughs> and then, you, yeah. then you got to work yesterday, and <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. But uh, so, we're here and here, finally. That's it. Yep. Finally. Well, as always, do mate. Um, yeah, we're a little bit off the cuff. You know, we we haven't really spoken before, and and yeah, we probably probably introduced. You probably don't know, Bob. Or mutual friends, mate, but Brad Murphy, you know, put you on the, yeah. put you on my radar, mate. Uh, after I think you guys had a little bit of a session of a coaching session up in Queensland, and yeah, helped, yeah, helped no, a few guys Brad, out. Yeah, Brad come up and did his thing, and I think a lot of people got a lot out of it. And yeah, no, he's a hell of a good fella too, that Brad. He's a good boy. He's uh, I probably spent too much time with him in such a short time, but um, the man, you know, he, he does a good thing like that coaching. Was that done at was that done at your joint, or was it? Yeah, mate, it was done or? here at my place. Yep. Ah, oh, sweet. Well, mate, give us the intro to to Jake, mate. You uh, you've been around the around the woods a fair bit, and uh, you know, obviously, just with us chatting there for a little bit, you've you obviously done a bit. Um, give us the either well, short or long version, whatever way you want to go. But uh, how'd you get in a bow hunt, mate? You've been hunting forever, or? Oh, uh, mate, oh, I've been hunting. I suppose as long as I can remember. Um, yep. My father took me everywhere with him um, from a quite a young age. Uh, started off with a bit of rifle hunting back in the day and and then oh, from an early age, probably 10 to 12 year old, um, was pretty successful with the rifle. Dad always put me in front and gave me everything a young fella, I suppose, could ever dream of. And He good old boy, know, wasn't he? <laughs> Oh mate, hell of a good fella, hell of a good fella, and um, he's um. Then I just, I suppose, wanted to try a bow, and um, I suppose how it all started was 
I met Daryl Bolger at an ADA meeting years ago, like back when I was 10 or 12, and thought, man, that is freaking cool. So <laughs> That's a half-handed yeah. bloke to know. Oh, mate, yeah, I've got a lot of time for Daryl, and yeah, yeah, he's sort of one of the fellas that introduced me to the sport, and when I first started archery, we were um, down sort of Gold Coast way, back at the hinterland there, and um, the local club was um, Pacific Bowman, I believe it was, and Daryl was a member there, and he sort of showed me everything I needed to know, and yeah, I took it and ran, so... Um, yeah, no, nah, friggin' did well, I suppose, from a young age. was lucky enough for your dad to spend time on you and take you and do what you wanted to do and, I suppose, made who I am today, I suppose. That's the so best where, whereabouts are you located now? Right now, uh, I live Toowoomba way. Yeah. Um, probably, how would you say, 25, 20 minutes out of Toowoomba in the hills. We've got a bit of land here and, yeah, we run around the... Run around the scrub here and get into all sorts of trouble. So, yeah. <laughs> so I must, I must be kind of working my way up the coast. I, I guess I started at Cape York with Matty Moore and Roberts have been going up. But back in the day, when you know, from from far back as you can remember, like what was the? Obviously, you, you got to meet Daryl straight up, so that's that's yep. that's in its element there. But you know, what what was the sort of the pinnacle of you know how you looked at bow hunting back then you know was it was it starting basics with rabbits or obviously you had a little bit of intro with rabbit with the rifle but going from there yep. you know what was the what got you well, drived into the passion I suppose oh mate bow hunting I suppose bow hunting was just just being close um, and up Queensland way we don't have a lot of small game like yep. it was pig goats or deer. Uh-huh. I mean, we, you know, we didn't have the foxes and the rabbits and access to them. They were a bit further south. And so, yeah, so our most of our stuff was the bigger stuff. Um, I suppose the bigger stuff. And um, I suppose the my first bow kill from memory was definitely a goat. And that's when back then there was plenty of them. And it wasn't frowned upon to shoot goats because, yeah, they were quite considered as a pest, I suppose, more so than these days. There were a few bucks to the landowners, so they yep. try to keep them close to their chest. Yep. So, so yeah, goats and then pigs, and then it wasn't, oh, I think, I would have been 14 or so when I shot my first deer with a bow. Okay. Um, I shot a few, like, younger deer sort of thing, but first deer, like a good, good fellow stag, and then kept going from then. So they haven't stopped, and then just deer has been my drive. Just for the, I suppose, just because of how hard they are, and you just try to work them out. Um, um, red deer, particularly, I love me red deer. I'm right in the in amongst them. They're everywhere around us up here. So well, know, that's a, you're not that's a terrible, work. Pro- terrible problem to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. <laughs> you get a rainy day or something. That's where. I suppose I'm a little bit more fortunate than others. You know what I mean? Like, um, I can just go out the back door, drive half an hour down to a landowner and go chase them, you know what I mean, on any, yeah. any afternoon or morning. So. Well, we'll um, I've definitely got, I've got plenty of questions to go down that rabbit hole there. So, but before we yep. do that, because that could take up a lot of time. But, uh, you know, cutting, cutting your teeth on, you could say, sort of larger game, um, I guess. 
how did you pick up the skills? Did you already know it through, you know, through the rifle hunting, like with the stalking and that kind of stuff, or did it just sort of come over the time? Because I know, like myself personally, you know, I started on rabbits and stuff like that, and you know, that's sort of where I honed the skills of stalking and you know, many sort of trials and tribulations. But you know, how did you form? Was there was there many failures, or your old man oh. sort of set you up, you know, well enough that you know you sort of jumped oh. right into it? Mate, there was continuous failures, failure after failure, um, and there still is failure after failure. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> that's, that's, that's both. <laughs> yeah, I think if it was um, just a gimme, we wouldn't be such driven by it. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, it's the challenge, um, and I don't know. I think yes, I was lucky at a young age. My father put a lot of time into me. Um, he was good in the bush and yeah, I was, yeah, it was challenge at the beginning. Definitely probably took, I reckon at least a couple, at least a, at least a year, probably two years from memory to actually put something on the ground with a bow. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think back then was, I think these days it's a little easier being we had a lot of technology and you know, we didn't have range finders. We did well. They probably were available, but they were probably ridiculously priced. <laughs> uh, the gear, the gear was a bit, you know, a lot slower, uh, a lot noisier. Um, so we were handicapped a little bit back then. These days, gear's just getting better, more affordable, um, and in one sense, making it a little bit easier. So, yeah. um, not a lot easier, but it's just make taking a couple edges off, making it a little easier than it used to be. So, so if you if you go back to you know because look a, a lot of the listeners you know at the moment are, a lot of the questions that come through are from sort of you know new bow hunters just getting into it and as you probably know as well as I do and I, we've brought this up before is is obviously mm-hmm. trying to hold people into the sport um, you obviously are very lucky to to be in an area where where bow hunting is pretty strong. Um, yep. Obviously, with the likes of Daryl and, and I know plenty of other guys from that, that area as well, um, yep. where it's got a good tradition. It's always been a good, you know, sort of bow hunting community. And obviously, yep. I did a lot of three D AAA back in the day, and I know that was always very competitive in that ray. But yeah. with those failures in, you know, early on, like what, what can you pick? Sort of something that was really stood out to you? Why you kept going with the bow and not just went back to the rifle? Because I think. That seems to be the easy way to go. I see so regularly, especially throughout the clubs and stuff like that. Like, is there something that sort of kept you driving for it? Oh, mate, I think just being close, like being like you can wander through the bush with a rifle, not taking anything away from rifle hunters at all. But no, you can wander through that. the bush with a rifle, and you know I mean, and you don't, yeah, you, know, you don't have to be as quiet. You don't have to be. You don't get to experience what that animal really does as such you know what i mean because you got to get in closer you're generally spending more time with the animal so you just animal habits and generally when you're waiting for the opportunity something else will happen and another pig or a deer will come out something sometimes something better i think it's just spending more time i just love spending time in the bush and it's not all the you know what i mean it we all say it's not about the kill At the end of the day it is about the kill that's yeah. right. What, what we're out there to do is kill something. Um, but yeah, just, you know, I mean, the stuff you get to see, I just noticed you see more animal habits 
and you get to see more special things, I suppose, unfold in front of you with a bow in your hand than what you would with a gun in your hand. So because you're closer and I suppose you're just more in touch, I think, with the animal. If you, yep. I don't know, probably a rough way around it, but yeah, that's, no, that that's probably sense. why. How old were you? And I think you mentioned it before, but I'll, I'll just sort of jump back to it. How old were you yep. when you made the tradition transition? Sorry, to from rifle to bow. Mate, I think it would have been probably after my, not long after my tenth tenth birthday. I reckon yep. it wouldn't have been too far after that. Ten or twelve, somewhere along around there. Can't remember exactly. Um, but yes, yeah, I reckon somewhere around there would have been close enough to it. Did your dad follow suit? Did he jump from the rifle to the bow as well? Not straight away, no. It was funny, that. Um, I think how it all happened was I did a lot of target archery yep. and, um, as well, which the reason we did target archery was to sharpen our skills, make a shoot better sure. for the board. And um, I think it took a few years, probably I reckon five years or so. Dad just stayed with his rifles and I remember at a 3D tournament one day, I friggin' um, I think it was up around Kilcoy Way. I think from memory, you know, and I just smoked a real good shot. And the next shot, I friggin' missed the whole friggin' target. And I friggin' <laughs> and my dad laughed his ass off me at me. You know what I mean? And that, yeah. And I half got not stroppy, but turned around. <laughs> and said, yeah, you did. You think, if you think it's so friggin' easy, get a bow and give it a crack. <laughs> and um, mate, that week, I think from memory, that's what he did. He went and bought a bow. And um, he started and he got hooked just as quickly and as me. Um, that's how it pretty much, well, yeah, probably five years. I reckon it would have been around my 15th birthday, around when I was about 15 or so, he started shooting with a bow as well. So and now, yeah, that's all he does as well. Yeah, I was just about to say, so he stuck with it as well? Yep, he stuck with it. He stuck with it. He still loves his little 22 and loves going out and, that's fair you know, enough. And shooting in the odd fox because central New South Wales is where he's originally from, down that way. Yeah, okay. And um, so he loves, yeah, he's 22 and shooting a fox and shooting a rabbit and loves eating the rabbits. So, you know, I mean, sometimes when you're looking for a, a fair few to put in the freezer, it's a bit tough with the bow. Yeah. yeah. So you can whack a few, but loves his 22. But apart from that, yeah, no, he's heart and souls with the bow in his hand as well, yeah. I've got to be honest, you know, and, and I don't think I've said this on the podcast before, but my favourite of all things is spotlighting rabbits and foxes with the, my twenty-two Magnum. Oh, mate, it's it is it's the best fun ever. good fun. I think it came yeah. back from when Especially we were in when you're the... end of school and that, you know, obviously I was the only bow hunter still pretty much out of my age and around my area. And, you know, I think back when you had the boys, you know, you you sort of plan a bit of a Friday, Friday night sort of run and, you know, you, you could have the mates doing it with you. You know, I think that was the biggest thing. Yep. You sort of be able to do it with other people, but yep. man, yeah, I, I mean, that's what I grew up with. You know, the twenty-two on the spotlight. You know, we used to go out yep. to. Also, got relations out at Ningen and stuff like that. And you know, when we're talking rabbits, you know, there was the first trip I went out. There was hundreds. Like I think we shot like three hundred and eighty rabbits in a matter of three nights or something like that. Like it was plague proportion, yep. but never got sick of it at all. <laughs> I don't. I don't think you ever will. It's, no. It's, it's about as good fun as you can get, I reckon. Oh. Yeah. And, and, and great and for, for kids. Yeah, and it, I think that's what, yeah, oh, like we, you and I were just talking before we sort of press the record button, um, you know, about, about kids and, you know, obviously just have a little one and, 
you know, I've got three little boys now and, you know, they're absolutely busting to get out and, you know, the bow, the bow's kind of hard to get him into that age because as much as I, I will do it, you know, it's hard to keep him entertained when there's no success because success yep. and happiness is what drives, I guess, you know, it drives us because we've, we've felt it, we've tasted it. Yeah. Um, so it's yep. easy to go when you've had that. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's no doubt. I'll, you know, I've still got me 22 in the safe year and that kind of thing and we had a few rabbits and foxes around here. So, you know, when I, when I feel the time's right, they'll, they'll be into it. Oh, mate, it's, I think it's, I think it's something that you know, I think some people disagree, but every kid needs to experience that just to yeah. know what it was like back in the day, how everyone used to do it. It was just second nature, second nature. And I think there's a lot of kids in the concrete jungles that are missing out on that sort of thing, and it's yeah. sad in one sense. I don't have kids, so not yet. So won't be too far off, I'd imagine. So, yeah. No, I think every everyone needs to just if they don't like it, that's fair enough. But yeah. they need to experience it. So and they're learning something out of it. They're learning that a gun's not a weapon, it's a tool. And mm. it's safe in the right hands when you're taught how to use it. Exactly. So. And I think that's what's lacking. No, we always you know, I think this topic comes up in, in every person's conversation, but it comes back to education. There's exactly. no doubt about it. It's exactly the same with a bow. You know, if there's no education with yep. a bow, it can be a, you know, yep. it's something you don't want to talk about. But keeping keeping to the, the to the theme of you know when you started, yeah. What was what was the best bit of advice that sticks with you now? You know, say in the first two to three years before you really got the hang of it as a young kid. Um, right. This is, this is probably coming from a, a point of if if someone's out there trying to get younger kids or their own kids or they're in a club environment. What was the best bit of advice that you received as as a I guess an early teen? Okay, um, what I always remember it and always still think of it. I remember a fella telling me one day, um, mate, be especially hunting like it was more predominant for hunting was be patient and yeah. you know when you get into you're in close enough quarters, if you be patient enough, a lot of people push and push and push and at times yes push. But the best part of be patient and wait for them to make the mistake, and they will. Sooner or later, they will make a, your quarry will make a mistake, and that's when you capitalise on it. So that's probably the most important thing I think for new hunters, young hunters: be patient and wait for them to make the mistake. So now flipping it to you going into the you know going in the scrub, and, and it's a little bit easier because you have experience, but. Yep. You yourself implementing that as a young fella, was it easy or was it hard or, you know, how, oh. did, you, how did you receive that information? Oh, no, mate, it was tough as. Like, <laughs> as a young fella, you mean, you've got a, a pig or a goat at friggin' 30 metres and you just want to try to get that next 10 so you're around that 20 metres and, mate, the amount of times you blow it or ruin it or, yeah, it was ridiculously hard and it wasn't until fails and failed and failed attempts that yeah it sort of started to catch on that oh yeah now there's maybe something to that and um and even now times when you think oh no i'll just push you freaking bugger it yeah. so but there's times when you've got to know when to push when to go so, yeah yeah so honestly that's been my mistake probably probably the last two seasons and on some very very big hunts um you know, you'd probably call a couple of them a lot once in a lifetime hunts, and 
I'll be honest with you, you know, there's probably times where I've tried to probably take it a little bit too easy because I've made a mistake going too hard before. Yeah. And I just didn't quite read it right, and I should, probably should have been that little bit harder, but then the brakes. Yep. Then the yep. brakes. Well, I think that's where, I think that's where some people, or a lot of people, would make a mistake because they're limited by time. You yep. know, I mean, they go out. You know, I mean, majority of people are only fortunate enough to go out a few weekends a year. Yep. And um, they're limited to time, so they want to do as much as they can, and they push and push and push, and which is fair enough. You know, I mean, I understand that as well. You want to succeed, but sometimes just kick sitting back, you'll succeed a bit better, I reckon. You just pretty much took the words out of my mouth, but how much do you think it is the need? I'm not going to say this is only a very small percentage, so I'm not going to label everybody with this, obviously, but how much do you think it is the need to success to, I guess, advertise it? Um, the need to success. That's a tricky question. Go again. Roll that again. That question. So the, the, oh. need, the need for success... Yep. And then advertise it. So in other words, like people, I think there's a lot out there that push that hard to try and get that success yeah, just so I they think, can tell somebody about it. I think social media has blown that part of it right up because everyone's worried about putting something on their social media page. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's got a lot to do with it. They're, they're worried about the next bloke, oh, you know what I mean? The next fella and the next fella, and they're just worried about getting left behind or not being as cool as them. And sometimes you're better off just, you know, kicking. Yeah. You don't have to shoot big shit and heaps of shit all the time to be cool. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, just relax and it'll happen if it's meant to happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. And, like, you know, and I'll ask you straight up, and, uh, you know, this is unprompted, but what makes a good listen or a good story or you know when you sit down and um and i'm saying this because you know i, I know what you've harvested and i know what you've been involved in and some of the hunts but yeah you know, what what engages you in a story oh you mean listening to someone's story or by the way story? yeah no oh, no okay. you you listening like so when someone's telling you a story yeah either telling you or or you're reading it like what? What's the biggest part of that story? Is it the is it the harvest of this big animal, or is the the lead up to like you know what sticks in your mind when you read something? Mate, definitely the lead up to how it happened. One, you're listening to learn because you always get something out of someone else's story, and I think the lead up to definitely the anticipation of almost could have and then not. Um. And then, obviously, yeah, we're all thrilled for the kill, and that's a cool part of it. But, um, yeah, the lead-up too, definitely. Yeah. And generally, the longer it takes, the lead-up, the better. Yeah. So, but we'll, ne- we'll never knock back that first day trophy. Oh, no. No, definitely <laughs> not. Definitely not. Yeah. Because what yeah. happens, it, it, it comes from all those other times that you did go for days on end or weeks on end or whatever it may have been. Oh, exactly. And maybe mate. failed. And maybe yeah, mate, you gotta take, every now and then you got to take the gimmies. There's nothing wrong with the gimmies because you put yourself in that right place at the right time. You know what I mean? Just, just sometimes it's a gimme. So, yeah, take them when you can, definitely. So, progressive, make it good as a story. 
so progressing from your early days. Yep. What what was your first leap? Oh, obviously, you know, I'm assuming probably deer was probably a big part of it. But, you know, what, what was that moment you thought, you know, yeah, I'm a bow hunter. You know, this is this is me forever. Um, and, and sort of, I guess, projected you into, you know, to where you are now. Oh, mate, it would definitely have to be my first decent fallow buck. Um, down around Stanthorpe Way, down that in that Queensland, New South Wales ring and border. And I understand um, that's that's one of the original herds down there too, isn't it? Mate, oh, I don't follow the, the, the fallow deer as much, but from what my understanding is, yes, it would have been back yeah. in the day, yeah. Yeah. Because so, they've been there for a long time. Long time, time. yeah. And they, they look, you know, because I've hunted the deer right down south, and they're, they're a little different to them ones. So obviously there's a different strain of some description. Yeah. Just a little smaller body. I don't know if it's the food or what it was. Um, but anyway, getting back to the other story. Um, yeah, definitely my first fellow, he, um, he was croaking his head off. And my dad, he actually still, he was with me. He had his gun. He just missed a frigging good stag with his gun, which was pretty funny. <laughs> but anyway, and there's other stags croaking up the gully. And um, the old fella said, righto, off you go, mate. We got into, I don't know, about 150 metres and let me go on my way. And I think I got into roughly that 30, 40 metres sort of thing. And, um, mate, I remembered exactly what I was saying before that this fella told me, just be patient and it'll happen. Because every other one I've stuffed and pushed and pushed and pushed and mate, I did that. Just had an arrow knocked and just waited, waited, waited and waited and it didn't seem like that long to me. But me old man, he reckons it was like two or three hours. I was in there frigging on me on my own and mate, yeah, that stag slipped up and he walked straight past me ten meters and frigging yeah, I took it and that's when I thought it was just cool being in there for a couple of hours, just watching these deer be deer croak and and younger stags coming in and the big fella chasing them out and that's what the i think that some of the rifle hunters miss out on yeah so because you could have shot him 10 times 100 times with a rifle you know what i mean so you miss that interaction with the animals yeah so yeah now that'd be my that's when i thought yeah this is that's i'm staying i'm doing this forever and yeah haven't stopped with that turning point, um, and I know this is, you know, it's getting a little bit technical, but with that turning point, and I'm really sort of basing on to the guys that are, you know, on the on the verge of, you know, going back, giving up the bow, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of working around these kind of avenues, but what what was the step you took next? Was it more time afield? Was it more dedication to the, to the um, I guess, the, the archery side of things? Or, you know, what, what was the next step from you from for there? Mate, as much time as you could in the field, um, always from there continually sharpening your, your, your archery skills so you can deal with things, learning bows, learning everything. So you could capitalise on the opportunities when you could. Um, I think learning gear and target archery, I focused on a hell of a lot from then and did pretty, you know, did all right at it. Yep. And uh, got comfortable with that, and I still do the odd tournament every now and then just to, you know, go and have a practice. Um, but, yeah, definitely 
I think I did a lot of target archery after that because one, you know, dad's got to work. You know, you know I got to go to school, which I didn't really like doing. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, definitely as much time as you could in the bush and just more and more and just, I suppose I would have hassled dad to the end of the earth, like every yeah. second weekend but at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I'm still at school, but he's got to provide for a family. So you just can't go every day. Sure. So yeah, no, that, that'd be that answer. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting hearing in, in every guest we sort of have on, I guess in one way sort of has a very similar introduction, but probably at different times of their life. Um, yep. It was interesting, you know, it's interesting to hear that your dad stuck with Rifle for that little bit longer. Yeah. How was, he, how was his reaction to you, you know, continuing through the bow hunting, you know? With, oh, he, at, at first, he thought I was nuts. <laughs> he thought, friggin', what the, you know, you're crazy, you know, you ain't got to kill nothing with that. And, um, but that would have been dad's turning point too, that, yeah, you shot pigs and goats with a bow, you know what I mean? He was just thinking, yeah, it's just a pig or goat. But when I, because he was a pretty good fellow, to you, like at 14 years old, I don't go much from the scoring system, but, you know, sure. he was a fair, fair bit over the 200 mark, you know, I think 215 or something, yeah. which Very at 14 years old is a friggin' pretty good deer, like yeah. I think. It's a good deer even now. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I think that's also when Dad got a shock and thought, holy dooly, these things are not toys yeah and uh, started to watch a bit more and i think it would have been yeah the next year or so yeah dad was dad was shooting the bow yeah if you don't mind me asking what sort of year was that like era well mate i'm 34 now okay so, so same age so i don't know you take friggin 12 off that what do we got yeah. On that yeah. on those drivers. Yeah, mid-2000s. Uh, <laughs> mid um, mate, I reckon what that have to be the mid-90s. Yeah. That makes about sense, yeah, mid-90s. Yeah. So we're definitely to almost 2000. I think I got my driver's license around 99, 2000 or so, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely yeah, mid nine. So gear was starting to get a bit better. But, yeah, um, I was just trying to get a gauge on... Yeah, what the gear was like, I think I was 90, yeah, 97 or something when I picked mine up. So, yep, uh, yep. Yeah, yeah. Matt, Matthews, Matthews was a big, big deal back then. Matthews bows. So, it would have been. Start, that would have been when I started in that solar cam and all that kind of deal. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I remember, I think, a Black Max I bought roughly oh, yeah. around. That was the in thing back then. And Jeez, weren't they I, a harsh ass breaking thing to shoot? <laughs> Oh, they were. Oh, they were the speed demon back then. But <laughs> we were. I think we were a little naive back then oh, when it comes we? to speed, because yeah. we just shot slow bows for so long. Yeah. And these speed things come out, and we thought, "Holy dooly!" Like, you know, what I mean, nothing safe. That's what we were thinking. At the end of the day, it was probably a little bit detrimental to to your form and how to shoot. And but I think it also made faster gear. You mean everything had to get better? Broadheads had to get better. Arrows had to get better to keep yeah. up. So everything got better. There was well, a big jump. You'd notice then. a big difference, you know, especially with your, you know, you being involved with a, with the target side of things, and, and I actually remember when you're shooting it as well, because I think we crossed paths in a couple. Now that I think about, think about it in a couple of comps, you know, years back. But um, yeah, right. you only think about it now, like just in the different 
you know, thoughts and techniques with, with art with between here and the States, you know, they're still shooting light fast, you know, that, yeah. and they're, they're shooting elk and whatever else they're shooting up there, bigger bone body things that we got here and they're a tough ass animal. Yeah. You know, they're still yep. shooting high 300s, early 400 grain arrows. And here we are, we go over to 550, which we would think probably, I think I ran 520 over there or something like that, which I still do. And, and that's considered probably a little bit of a lighter setup here in Australia. Yep. You know, yep. and they look at you and they think, like, you're shooting longbow arrows. Like, it's yeah. just amazing <laughs> how yeah. the progression progression of with the bows and the technology, but that's kind yeah, of been left yeah. behind or very separated between the two countries. I think because, I don't know, I suppose they're, they're bred and butter frigging the animals they're shooting are a, touch, are a touch smaller and yeah. softer than ours. Like, our yeah. bread and butter frigging critters are pigs and goats so they're a bit heavier boned and yeah i think that's where we sort of followed that lead and went with the heavy arrows but one thing i have noticed is they are they are starting to cotton on they listen to a lot of podcasts this and that and it seems to be a big push at the moment everyone's ramping up their gear so obviously we've talked american something which is good that's right i reckon it's about time (laughs) they listen to us i reckon that's it (laughs) not the other way around No, yeah. it's, it's interesting, and and uh, you know, from someone or well, both of us that have, that have shot a lot of archery, and you know, I, I don't change the setup now. I just literally screw a field point on, and you know, go and shoot a range, and you know, still shoot. Yeah. I'm not going to say that I can, you know, put it within a twelve ring or something like that, but you know, you still shoot pretty consistently when you've had a couple of cracks, and I think oh, a yeah. lot of it, you know, I think a lot of it, the shootability side of things is it's not speed. You know, it's always been. It's always been a bit of a myth, I reckon. Like trying to shoot something at speed is is tough. Well, exactly. It's I when I talk to people about that sort of things, it's like a you know really really fast car. You know, yep. you're not going to do a fast lap on a racetrack in a really really fast car if you're not a professional driver. You know what I mean? That's right. You'll do a better lap in a little bit tamer car. So, yep. you know. I, that's the way I describe it to people. I don't know if it's the right analogy or anything. That's um, good to me. Yeah, so that's <laughs> the way I would, And the, the only one benefit, the only benefit of a light arrow, and it only has one benefit, is speed. Yeah. It's got nothing else. A heavy arrow just outweighs everything. It's slower. It's slower. It's more accurate. It's quieter. It hits harder. It penetrates better. Like, yeah, it's more forgiving. The, that's right. It's more forgiving. Mm. It's just it's a pleasure to shoot. It's more tunable. Yep. Like, yeah, it does. There's no nothing that a fast arrow really does. And I think they're cottoning on. They're working it out. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think you know. And you mentioned it before. Like you know. Yeah. Yes, we're on a podcast, but that has really helped because they've got so many different opinions. Very, you know, spoken out loudly. I think yep. it's probably helped them trying to understand that. You know, I, I know there's guys here without, you know, without putting them on the spot, name dropping, but, you know, the guys like Brad Smith and that who have been just belting it for years saying, like, you know, you know, you could probably remember the Brad's DVDs and the two-blade production stuff, you know, and, and if anybody hasn't watched them, they really need to. Oh, um, definitely. definitely. You know, they're, they're the best. For anybody starting, get a copy of them because they are the yep. ones... Well, that's where I learnt from, and I've already been shooting for years, but I still watch them now. 
I you do, know, I, just just yeah. trying to get you just get your head. You get you get something from them every time. Um, every yep. You can't. Argue. No, you're right. Nah, nah. It's proof, and at the end of the day, it's what gets like. I think that's where us Australians are fortunate, where we hunt three hundred. Yeah, you know, every day we can hunt there. Yeah. They've only got a certain amount of time, so you know, quite a few of us are lucky enough to kill more animals in a year than what they will in a lifetime. Yeah, yeah, dead right. And so, I suppose the pre- we we learnt, we've learnt from our mistakes numerous numerous times, and that's what we've ended up with. Mm. So, work. So, stick with it. Yeah. On the technical side of things self-taught or did someone sort of show you the ropes or you've just sort of you know just just learned it along the way mate I, I learned a lot of it along the way um anything you know even by trial and error yeah a lot a lot of help from me tuning to boho what i who i get a lot of information from and who i've always rang if i had any problems or if i wanted to know something was ian summers like yeah. he's a wizard when it comes to bows and arrows and all that gear, and I'd say he's the man that has helped me along the way and um, sharpened my skills. Turned it, you know, probably five years ago. You know what I mean? I just got a lot better at tuning all the gear and making it fly better. Yeah. So, and appreciate what a bow can do if you spend the time on it. So, yeah. Mate, he, he's the man. He's the man when it comes to gear. If you need to know anything, ask that fella. <laughs> he doesn't mind helping either. He's got a lot of oh, knowledge to share. Yeah. He's, oh. yeah, he's all open. But on that on that topic, dive on that in a little bit, if you didn't know the things you know now about the tuna and that, and I know people get frustrated about, because they can be actually a good shot, and I've seen them in the club level. They can be really yep. good shot, but the gear's not tuned or up to the scratch. How important is it? to just go that little bit extra and, and get some advice or get to a shop, a pro shop or whatever it may be. Actually, I know oh, I sent someone to you. Yes, yeah, you did, you did. Um, massive, because ma- people, like, all the time, like, that fellow was a, a good example, right? Um, he was getting, went and bought the best gear, the best of the best. Did the right and thing. And there's a lot of experts, so to speak, out there that put their two bob in and that fellow was about to give it away. Yeah. He was like, mate, this thing ain't shooting right. Um, I'm not enjoying it. And mate, within a couple of hours, mate, we had that thing humming, and he went away with the biggest frigging smile going. Yeah. And it's good. I love doing that to people because he was just about to get rid of his gear, grab your gun again, and go killing shit. So definitely get even get a second opinion. Like, yeah. just, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that think they know what they're talking about and – want to help but they're just giving the probably the wrong information or information that is like a bow needs to be tuned a lot better with a broadhead than yep. for than a target bow yeah you know because I mean? you're whacking a big broadhead on the end and you can get away with a little bit more with a target bow than what you can with with a broadhead with a hunting bow so yep. i think that's where some people make mistakes and um I think that's where the target archers are buggering up a little bit. Not mm-hmm. nothing, not saying that they know what they're talking about. They know what they're talking no, no. about. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. No, as soon as you screw a broadhead on the end of that arrow, it's completely different ball, ball yeah. game. 
I've always said, you know, and it's always been the thing to, you know, some people say, oh, you can't, and this is an American thing as well, and, you know, to the guys listening, no offense, but they always said you can't shoot two-blade broadhead. It won't shoot, it won't fly the same as your field point. Mm -hmm. It's the biggest load of bullshit that anybody could ever say. If you've got your bow tuned properly, they'll shoot in the same spot. Mate, I was, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that. I remember until I met Ian, and he friggin' started showing me this and that and all these friggin' yokes and all that final tuning. I was guilty of that. I'd go out, sight my bow in, get the shits with the friggin' fixed blade <laughs> broader. And then yeah, I'll be I'll be there and done it, trust me, but yeah. Yeah, get the shits with fixed blade and I used to be a, a fan of mechanicals. Used to love yeah. them and I still I still do mm-hmm. love mechanical broadheads. Uh, some people don't. I, I I like them, they all have their purpose. What are you um, confident with? That's it. Um, but now I'm shooting fixed-bladed broadheads yep. because I've been lucky enough to learn a bit yeah. and know how to do it. So it's taken out that that um, something of going wrong. You, if you have a fixed mechanical broadhead, there's that what if it doesn't open right. If it's fixed-bladed on the front of your arrow, that takes that element of slip up away. Yeah, yeah. From a from someone like yourself that that I know that can shoot, what's your what's your comfortable hunting range? <laughs> that's a that's a, that's that rip. Um, that rip. Yeah. Um, well, mate, I'll be honest. I have taken long shots at animals. I'm not a Me fan too. of taking long shots at animals. Yeah. I have done, but. I, yeah, I'm I'm comfortable in the right circumstances at shooting a deer at 50 metres, no worries at all. Yep. So some people don't like that, and um, that's fair enough, each no. to their own. I've got to that because I know how good you can shoot. <laughs> like I'm comfortable with my gear, and, mate, there's been numerous times, like the other weekend we are up hunting rooster deer. I drew on numerous deer and at that at that longer distance and you know went to settle my pen but just everything wasn't right yeah. so i just wouldn't do that you know i mean? no. just wait for that opportunity where right the footing was a bit better or the wind wasn't blowing or there wasn't them couple little pieces of grass in the way mm-hmm. um but at 30 meters and under mate you can get away with a lot more you know, being a little bit uncomfortable you can be get away with being shooting through that little couple pieces of grass so yeah, and I think Boy. this look this loops right back to what we just spoke about before about the need for success. Yep. You know, you're happy to walk away from that that situation. You, you're yep. like, well, I don't. I can shoot that at fifty yards. There's no doubt. Like if, but you, you're good enough, and 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 this is sort of trying to sort of say, you know, there's there's you got more days in the field, or you got the next trip, or whatever. Like it still doesn't take away from the the trip you had or the hunt you had or whatever, if it's not right, don't take it. Yeah, I think that's where people stuff up. They think, well, you mean, we all want to freaking shoot an animal. That's what you're there for. Oh, for sure. But there is nothing worse, and I've done it, and I know most people have done it. Mate, when you wound an animal, it is the most, especially when an animal that means a bit to you, which every animal means a bit, but something a bit better with a good set of antlers on it or a big set of tarps. Mate, you when his, you wound something you lose history it. with or something. Mate, it is just gut wrenching. Yeah. Like there is nothing worse. Like 
like you, yeah, it's the most horrible feeling going, and everyone will experience it. And hopefully, that's they'll go, oh shit, no, nah, I'm not going to friggin' stuff this up again. Remember what happened last time. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what that's what I reckon people should look at. So I think it comes back to learning from mistakes, being yeah, having the ability to do that too. It's not an easy thing to do, and. You know, for, for people that maybe struggle with that, don't don't feel down about it. Like, it's actually something that it takes a little bit to do to, to learn from such a frustration or such a disappointment and not not give it up, you know, because oh. we've all been there. Oh, mate, we've yeah, exactly. Like, you think of these fellas of all these big deer on the wall, they ain't friggin' tagged friggin' tr- good animals and lost them, mate. They've all yeah, done it. That's right. And, they will, and they'll continue to do it. Every, everyone stuffs up. Definitely, and it's it comes from stuff I've had both ways and everything in between. You know, you've done something stupid, or you've taken, you've pushed that shot, or the animals just done something freaky, or well, the yep. the like you know you hear the stories all the time. It's like how did that bone or how did that broadhead deflect off that or something? Like things happen, but it's a matter of you know being able to, I guess, you know, take out those those situations where they may be a little bit fifty fifty or you know, trying to just eliminate them as much as possible. Yeah. You know, still obviously being able to try and harvest the animal and all those kind of things, which I guess all comes back to how you, you know, originally started the conversation with in the way of the challenge of the bug. Yeah. That's yeah, you know, that's, that's what we hear. And I think that also like that being patient and watching the animal, like you get to learn animal body language. And you know, right, is that animal comfortable? Is it, you, you get to know, you know what I mean, if the shot yeah. can be done at a longer distance, you know, because I mean? you, you can read the animals, you can read them, you, and if you watch their steps long enough, you'd know, right, oh, he's in this position, his next step is going to be this, or he's in this comp, he's in this position, you know, yes, things happen and uh, against what you're thinking, but um, mm-hmm. generally, if you spend enough time with the animals, that will help with them sort of instances. Yeah. I remember listening to a podcast and, and this is just completely going left field, but Randy Ulmer, and if anybody doesn't know Randy Ulmer, I, I highly recommend you if you're interested in any American hunters to yep. uh, to research him. But, you know, he's a man that's probably killed more giant mule deer and giant elk than well, anyone I know. But he's someone that I look up to in, in the way of the way he represents himself and yep. the way, you know, just chasing big animals and very selective he has a distant yep. hunting range between 40 and 60 and doesn't go outside it. Yeah, that's... Mate, if you're comfortable... Yep. If you're comfortable with your gear and, you know, the proof's on his wall. You know, and it yep. can be done and, it, and he does it all day, every day. And, yeah, it's not... He, I think he, says, he says over 60 is the animals likely to do something that's not right. Yep. And under 40, it's more likely to be him. Yep. So he, they're like the animals likely to jump the shot or something like that. Just their reaction time under forty, they're yep. more likely to hear him. They're more likely to be more alert because they heard him. They're more likely to be alert, more alert on the shot under forty. Yep. And I mean, yep. I've, I've heard I'm, I'm that. Gonna say, I'm going to say it right out there. You can't argue the bloke. <laughs> so, no, no, you know, no. He's, he's proven everything, and 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 the bloke every year, you know, he's just putting giants on the ground and. Very, very yep. humble guy, and there's a couple of good podcasts out there with him, so I highly recommend anyone listen to them because it's a really good good one to listen I, to. I listened to one not so long ago because he makes his broadhead that Alma Edge is a yep. broadhead that I'm a fan of, 
And, Did um, they just bring out a new one? Mate, they just have, and that was the podcast I was listening to. They've just, yeah, no, I haven't heard it yet, but I've seen, seen yeah. it come up, yeah. I think it's called The Sever, the Sever like S-E-R-V yep. or something. Gotcha. And mate, it looks it looks impressive. I was a mm. fan of the old friggin' Alma Eggs that I yep. think Trophy Taker was making. That's right. And, uh, mate, this new one looks like a friggin' impressive because they have that bit of a hinge thing which mm-hmm. where they swing it, which will go around bone and stuff. And, yeah, I was a big fan of them, and I, I like these new ones too. They're impressive. Kevin's posted yeah. on that. I mean, if you can... Uh... Obviously, everyone's probably getting attention to that now, but yeah, if you if you get a chance to trial them, buddy, let us know. We'll, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Uh, we'll do. Could be on the expensive side; they're all made out of titanium and stuff, and yeah, right. that sort of. Yeah, but um, you know, I'm a bit of a fan right now of the um, the the rads like that rival the stainless steel ones, mate. I'm okay. over the moon with them. Yeah, like they're a three three bladed broadhead, and I'm. I'll stick to the th- like the fixed bladeds, but I'll always have one or two friggin' I think mechanicals in there for a rainy day. So <laughs> just to catch uh, rain yeah. one in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Mate, um, you know, obviously we we sort of you know we've spoken there through like your transition and and sort of going into and look, obviously you know I know you're a huge Red Deer fan. Um, yeah, probably your pride and joy. As far as where you want to spend the time in the bush now, and this probably comes back to you know some of the stuff we've touched on in regards to a lead up to the hunt. But red deer is something that certainly does that. It, it starts with a lot of preparation, and and I know you've sort of jumped into that species probably a lot more than others. I know there's a few other people around that you've probably learned off and those kind of things. But you know, when when did that sort of let's call it an obsession start, um, oh, and how that progressed? Oh, mate, red deer have always been an obsession of mine, and they always will be. Just the way they conduct themselves in the bush, like that roar just just cuts right through you. And when you're in close quarters and they friggin' bellow, man, there's nothing. Like, yeah, there's nothing nothing like it. And, um, mate, oh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, yeah, I'd just, yeah, there's... Always have and always will be chasing them reds. They're an obsession of mine and will not stop doing it. You mentioned something pretty interesting earlier, um, once again, before I press record button, but we're talking about Sammy deer and we're just sort of talking about a previous trip I went down with Josh Rogers and, you know, having a yarn about that um, yep. trip down there. And you said, you know, you don't know what it is, but are we getting better or is it just getting more of them? Or, and I think we both gave our opinion on that, that we are getting better. Yeah. How does that sort of relate to the red deer stuff as well? Because they're not everywhere. Um, New South Wales obviously are very few and far between, and we've got some very quality uh, genetics in certain areas. But you know, yep. getting access to those areas and that's very difficult. Obviously, yep. you know, up in Queensland, it's 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 probably been hammered over the years. You know, and and people would argue that the the quality is, you know, it's, it's gone downwards or something, whatever you want to call it, but you know, you've probably yep. proven that proven that a little bit different. What, yep. What's yep. your ta- what's your take on it all? And and we'll we'll lead into sort of some stories from that. But what's your sort of take on the red deer herd of, of sort of Queensland at the moment? Mate, the red deer herd in Queensland, I would say, 
as far they're strong, like they, there's plenty of them. There's heaps of them around, and if you can get access to them, you'll you'll get a chance at one. Yeah. But quality of animals um, is not as good as your southern herds. Yeah. Okay. Um, is that original? Is that original from the, the releases, or is that purely from hunting pressure? Mate, well, I know. I'm gonna say. I'm gonna. This. This is my take on it. Some yep. people might think, nah, that's bullshit. Um, but this is my take on it. I believe after, you know, in 1870, so they've been here 150 years or so, right? Mm-hmm. I believe that they have. You know, I'm no scientist and this and that, but I look at other animals around Australia and everything slowly changes to suit its environment. Gotcha. And, like, you look at a good example is the pigs in the, down central New South Wales and mountain boars and the pigs in Cape York. Yep. They're the same pig, right? Mm-hmm. But one, you take a big mountain boar and put him up Cape York, he ain't going to last too long because he's yeah. not built that area. Dying about two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> no, I wish you luck, mate. But um, <laughs> I... I think that they have slowly this is my theory I this is just what I've come up with I don't want to seem like an expert no, no. but I think they have slowly changed to suit the environment I think that all this blood that people keep tipping in because people do try to improve herd qualities mm-hmm. and this and that and I think the food the ticks the pressure the heat has a lot to do with them the way they are today. Yep. I think um, definitely pressure and hunting is one, but I think the food, I think the terrain, I think the heat is a massive thing. Um, it's like a shorthorn bull that they now is in Cape York. All them scrub bulls originally were probably from shorthorn stock. Yeah. And a shorthorn bull is quite a large bull. And you mm-hmm. look how the Cape York scrub bull has genetically Gosh. changed to suit the environment. You yep. know, in a big friggin' thousand pound friggin' ton bull ain't going to friggin' do any good up there. Mm. So they've had to change to suit the environment. So that's yeah. my take on Yes, there is some good blood around and some good stags around. If you look hard enough and spend the time, you will find a good deer. But And sometimes you're just lucky enough just to come across one and not spend a lot of time. But yeah. generally, like I spend all of March and all of April essentially in the bush. I take six weeks off work, and I just nonstop, I am in the bush walking. Yep. And, look, and leading up to that all year, I'm always looking. I've got cameras out. I'm watching them. I'm looking at them. So I generally, yeah, keep an eye on a, on a good deer or two, and I'm hoping that when he does start to roar and when he does come into hard antler, I'll know where he'll be. Yeah. So if you spend enough time, yes, you will find big deer in the Queensland bush. But, yeah, you've got to do the miles and the legwork. you got your and, work cut out. Mate, find the dirtiest, nastiest, thickest friggin' gully you can and he won't be too far from there. Yeah. Breaking that down a little bit further. um, Yep. 
I'm going to say without the bloodline, there's no chance of getting that trophy stag, if you want to call it that way. Um, how much, and you've probably heard, especially on recent podcasts, with our, with our sort of weather conditions leading up yep. to our rut this year, um, or, you know, I'm not sure how it sort of worked, how your season's shaped up up there, but how much do you think, you know, you said that the the deer have adapted to, to the terrain, which, you know, I, I strongly believe that. I think it's I think it's spot on. That's my opinion as well. Um, but yep. how, how much do you think that sort of weather conditions going into, you know, with the antler growth and all that, like if the genetics are there, how much does that have a part? Mate, if you got, yes, if you got the perfect condition, perfect seasons and you got, good tucker leading up to when they're casting their antlers and right through when they're growing, yes, you will see a few more bigger stags that year. Mm-hmm. Um, Temperature-wise, I don't think during the rut they're definitely going to roar harder when it's a bit cooler, but, mate, we haven't had a cool rut. Oh. I can't remember how long in Queensland. Like, I can remember when I was a tiny little freaking kid walking with Dad and – you mean you'd see a frost? Yep. You know, in Queensland, in the red deer up, mate, I haven't seen a frost. I think I've only seen two or three this year up here. So I don't yeah. know if that's, I don't know if it's global change, global warming, all that bull crap, whatever you want to call it. I think it's just that's what the world's going through at the moment, and that's that. Um, but yeah, definitely, food has a big. I think leading up, like we've got a really dry winter right now mm-hmm. up here, and our summers. Are generally good, but I think you need that good tucker right when they're casting and leading up to when they're casting yep. to get that get that an initial oomph. Um, so definitely, food plays a big big part in it, and I think also just is that deer is he stress? I think a stress level if it's a high pressure area. Like I remember talking to some old deer farmers years and years and years ago. And, you know, and they're all got the best food going. They're in a deer farm and they get fed. Mm-hmm. And he would tell you stories about deer that were really, really big one year. And the next year he can, he can remember like a stressful part of that deer's when he was leading to growing and he'd be shit, a shithead. Yeah. So I think stress might have a bit to do with it. Um, so if you get a high-pressure area, yeah, I mean, they're not relaxing and they're not getting the best out of everything. Yeah, yeah. They're not I mean, sitting they're, out in the park, out in the golf that's course. That's right. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Like, if, if they can just lay in the paddock and chew their card drinking all day, but the pressure, boom, as soon as within an hour of daylight, they've got to get in a scrub because someone's going to shoot them these days. Yeah. So yeah. they're not you're in, in a low lower pressure area. They're eating better. They're relaxed more. They're not worried about freaking what's coming over the next ridge, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's interesting because it, you know, obviously you would have seen some of the heads that come out of New South Wales this year on in somewhat and still is, yeah, you know, a crazy drought. You know, they've had very little rain and and shit's looking pretty bad out there. I was just talking to one of the guys today about how what we can sort of do to help out out there and you know, a few of the owners, but um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, how far do you go with it? But you know, there was some fantastic red deer heads come out, some ridiculous fellow and. I'm going to yep. say it was probably one of the worst leading into it. It's probably one of the f- worst feed years. Yep, yep. It well, really does. It really does confuse you on, on on what to expect each. You know, every time you go into a rut, you know what you what you're looking to expect. Oh, mate, always expect 
the worst the playing, you know, <laughs> yeah, playing the best. But yeah. um, like I think where a lot of people are mistaken, yes, friggin' dear luck. I think stags and does have different dietary stuff. You know, they have different yeah. diets. Like you always find your does around, you know, your nice green sweet prick and all the best tucker. Your mm. stags generally, I've found, and you see it from watching deer in pens and this and that, and mate, they're they'll browsers. They're happy to eat friggin' bark and leaves and yeah, you know, and yeah, they'll friggin' grab a friggin' mouthful of oats whenever they can. But I think just because of a bad grass time, you know, what I mean, like mm-hmm. stags eat anything. Like I've got a mate who's got a stag and mate in his pen and you break off a palm from and throw it in there, mate, it's the, he'll, and then you put loosen right next to it, he'll eat that palm from before the loosen. Yeah. Like, that's telling you something, that that palm from's got something in it that he wants compared to that loosen. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's something where a doe would probably go to loosen. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And, well, I, you just touched on it then, you know, like like the stags disappearing in this, and, and some of the country you find the stags after the rut or growing out, you're like, what are these things doing here? There's nothing here. Um, right. It sort of comes back to more of a safety kind of thing, as you mentioned, the stress. You know, if, yep. they're, if they're going to those areas to be less stressed, you know, maybe yep. they do kick off better for the following year and, and that's where we're seeing those bigger heads come out of because they've got the hidey hole. Yep. And I think, mate, we'll always, like, Australia's got some of the best deer hunting. Like, I've been to New Zealand and seen the deer over there. Apart from the deer and the frigging pans and stuff, mate, our deer are frigging awesome here. Yeah. We've got frigging good blood. Yeah. And, um, and it's just going to keep getting better because people are that driven by it, mate. They're always going to buy does and, you know, I mean, let them go and, mate, good luck to them. Go for it. More deer, the better, as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Some farm probably won't like that, but, yeah. No, I love, and um, yeah, I think I think we're always going to have big deer, and yes, we'll have bad seasons and good seasons, and yeah, but yeah, we're always going, and they're just going to get better. Like every year, I don't expect I expect you know records are just going to keep getting broken and broken and broken, like because people are putting the effort into them. Mm. So I'm looking forward to yeah, many years to come. It's going to be awesome, I reckon. Well, that comes back to touching on what I was saying about when we we're talking about the Samba, and you know, you're sort of we we both said about you know, are we getting better? I think we are, and I think that's proven in the way that we keep finding bigger and better deer, and yeah, I think it's the way that we're the the way we're hunting, and the, and I guess the the emphasis that we're putting on hunting, and you know, the challenge yep. that we're sort of setting ourselves to you know chase that bigger one, and and I guess maybe a little bit of education in like you. You can't shoot a big one if you shoot a small one, sort of sort yep. of thing. And I know that's sort of something I've carried overseas. It's a hard thing to do when you, you know, travels thousands of miles and spend thousands of thousands of dollars. But it's just, yep. you know, it's the way, sort of the way I go into my hunting, you know. And, and it's probably yep. that's probably quite a sit with you know certain reasons with, you know, harvesting sort of some ferals now at the moment, given the you know the drought conditions and stuff. That's a whole other ball game. But when it comes to the sort yep. of the deer and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I guess sort of we're jumping back to the red deer quickly. Yep. What What's your expectation going into every season? Is it is it an expectation of what that season brings you, or is it a personal expectation you set? 
Mate, I think it's a a personal expectation. Um, I try to shoot something at least on par, at least, but generally better than what I've got, um, with the exceptions of something different. You know what I mean? I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan of different stuff. Like if it's got friggin' something twisty going on it yeah. or something out of character, you know, I mean? I'm a fan of that sort of stuff. Um mm. But my expectations every year, or expectations, I'd, I think generally I shoot a good red every year. It's been the odd year I haven't. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, my expectations are to shoot a big deer every year. That's my expectations. Yeah. I mean, I look, and, and I'll give you some pre-warning here. I'm going to jump in. We're going to catch up sort of maybe slightly towards the, the red deer season, um, sort of come yep. March, February, March, and we'll, and we'll, we'll dive down purely on tips and techniques, that kind of deal. But yep, for, for someone that's so red deer fanatical now, you know, yep. how, how does your the rest of your year plan out? Are you still watching them? Um, are you sort of just concentrating on other species to get you through the rest of the year? Or, you know, how, how do you sort of look for, as a, from a red deer point of view now? Red deer point of view, I don't stop. Yep. I, all year, yes, I go and, you know, and chase the rooster and, I generally don't these days chase a fallow because the rut's close together. I generally get, you know, in the last weekend of April, I'll go have a look or something like that mm-hmm. if I if I a red down. But um, I, I'm watching them all year, um, even if I just, you know, just take my binoculars out, go check trail cameras. I think trail cameras have been a massive thing why we are everyone is shooting bigger deer these days yep. because – Without trail cameras, there is many a deer that I wouldn't know exist. Gotcha. And if, righto, you get that one photo of that stag that he's there at 2 o'clock in the morning and you've got that same camera there and you, you never see another photo of him again, but you know he's there somewhere. So if you spend enough time in the bush, mate, you'll, you'll see him. And... um he'll slip up back to the original thing. If you're patient, they'll make the mistake. Yep. And then big buggers, they don't make a mistake often. So mm-hmm. you've just got to be there with them. So just, yeah, I just spend all year, even when they cast, I try to, you know, I try to find cast antlers, but it's it's freaking hard to find it's red tough. deer cast antlers. Well, I don't mate, know where yeah. they go. I don't I, know where I, they go. I'm fortunate enough to have a few, but, mate, the places you find them is, yeah, I generally, like, it's funny, you're like, don't know if they're the same deer, but I know areas where, mate, cockies say, mate, we've never heard a deer roar, never seen a doe, but they've got stags there through the winter, and they, yeah. they, they, they disappear. I'd love to put a tracking collar on them to find out if they're going where I think they're going, mm-hmm. um, or somehow really distinctly know one deer. Well, I haven't been lucky enough to know that yet, but um, yeah, mate, just keep spending, yeah, be in the bush and just keep looking. I guess from this time, you know, like let's let's talk from now on, and anybody that sort of catches up with this podcast the next week, um, yep. you know, that's, that that has it, the ability to sort of chase a few red deer and it's got the right block. What would your advice be then between now and sort of coming February? Um, what's something that you would say? Look, you know. Just keep a look out of them or, you know, something to look for or is it a little bit hard because you know they're sort of disappearing? Well, I would 
go, yes, spend time at your block um, because some blocks are blocks where they're where areas where stags rut, where that's generally where you'll get a lot of does, and then other blocks are sort of you know, where they're growing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd spend time at your block, get to know your block. Get to know the terrain. Get to know the gullies. Get to get to know every finger. Get to know every patch of tree you can friggin' try to work out because the day because that's where I think a lot of people stuff up or not stuff up. They slip up. Yeah. Um, right. There's a stag on a ridge friggin' roaring, and you try to make your way to a way that you think will work. And mate, generally, there's a thick gully in the way, and or open terrain in the way, or and if you spend time on your block, I think that has a big, a big plus and a big thing when you do see that deer that you want. You know the terrain, and you know certain little gullies, and you get to know where they're walking, and you get to know just habits like which way they will go, which way they might not go, and I just think. I think that's a big plus. Just spend time yep. and just looking, even if they're not roaring. I think that's where some people bugger up. You know, they've got a good red deer block and they stay at home until the first, roaring. You know, until mid month, until the cocky says, "Oh yeah, I heard a deer roar, mate," and then they start hunting it. Yeah, like go up there, spend the time, and start looking, 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 looking. And you'll get the you'll get a good deer sooner or later. You'll get a good deer. That's that's what I think the difference between the fellows that do get good deer is just time in the bush. Mm. That's all it is. From a little bit of experience, and this is probably and I, I must admit I'm probably stealing this information from from other guys I've spoken to, but yep. you know they've sort of said that the hind, the hinds and the and the fawns and they will start sort of stay in a very similar sort of area, um, yep. weather dependent feed and that kind of stuff they'll move if they have to but like some of the stuff where we've seen and heard of stags like I'm talking 20 to 30k from where that same that same stag has roared and rutted and got shot um, yep. and the reason for that is obviously they've been very particular kind of kind of stags you know with a they've thrown a you know, thrown a kind of weird antler or whatever it may have been and, and this particular one I've got in my head now was you know he's a big stag and he was very noticeable and um, you know, when I got told how far this thing wintered, I was like, you're kidding me. Like, there's no yep. way. Like, yeah, I, you know, overseas you hear the elk stories and that, but they're just known to do that kind of thing. But to be able to, to have to leave and, and kind of, well, I understand he was, he was solo as well. Does yep. that play a part in the way how you sort of get around and look to see what's in your area or you're going to more concentrate on the, on the hinds knowing that the stag's not there? Oh mate, I I do both. I check areas that I know are known for stags, and generally, like you say, they can be in areas where, well, there's certain cockies and farmers that, I you know, you talk to them about deer and this and that, and some of them don't even believe there's deer on their property. And then when you show them photos of them, they're like, yeah, really, that that lives there. And then big fellas, they'll be. Yeah, generally a hell of a long way. Sometimes they'll be right under your nose, but generally yeah. a hell of a long way from where your does and fawns are and your younger stags. Yeah, okay. Um, 
And sometimes, yeah, it is surprising. Like, I'm yet to witness a particular stag, like, you know, with something with a trait or get a tracker on it that know exactly how far they go. I think, um, mm. I think some, oh, I'm not sure, I don't know if it was the ADA or some some branch, some deer scientists, whatever you want to call them, they did it. They tagged a stag and friggin' put a collar on him. And you can look it up and find the information. I think it got written down somewhere. But yeah, that, that stag, he travelled sort of end of February, 1st of March. He started marching from, yeah, 30, 40 k's away to where he was going to rut. And he mm-hmm. stayed there to mid May, to early May. Late April and then marched all the way back. All the way back. For two years in a row, he did that. There you go. And so there is something to it. Yeah, there's, um, on, on, you know, you think you've got them worked out, but you never mm. freaking do. Um, but yeah, there's definitely something to it. I don't know if it's food driven or safety driven, why they go away and hide, or if it's something they are needing up in that area. Yeah. Or if it's just an instinct. Yeah, another theory I think is possibly that you know that stag was born in that area, yeah, where he's wintering, and then he goes and ruts elsewhere just to keep the the blood. I think it, I don't know if it might be in their DNA to be driven away from mum and brothers and sisters and that sort of thing and go rut elsewhere, so they're keeping their blood right. I don't know if that's a that's another theory I'm thinking. I don't know. Mm. I think so, that probably, and, and that sort of changes probably. Uh, we had a conversation with Toby Hollins here about this on the fallow, but I think it makes sense. You know, the red deer are a little bit more so nomadic. Like they will, they will cruise and keep going until they they find what they need. Where fallow yep. are a little bit more habitual, where they'll sort of obviously always return to an area. I think the yep. red reds will. You hear it all the time. It's like, oh, you know, I've seen a big red stag here, like, you know, this this rut. But, you know, I've hunted another three times. I've hunted him six years, that same block six years and never seen a red deer. Um, yeah. I think, I think they do cruise. I think they're the ones that sort of, they're happy to, to keep going until they find what they need. Yeah, yeah. I think if he's happy, if he's got, if he's got girls and he's got food and he's got water. It's a lot um, different. Yeah, I mean, he will, and he's not, massively pressured obviously if he gets a whooping from another stag and he gets chased out yeah he might go rut somewhere else from the year but if he's happy like i've followed deer for you know i watched deer for four five six years and they generally obviously out of the norm they do move on but they generally rut close by to where they were rutting the year before yeah like you know, unless they're shot or they're pushed out for whatever reason, other stags whooped them, and you know, I mean, or they turn up and there's no friggin' does there. He's not going to hang around there. He's going to wander off and go find himself some girls. Yeah. So, obviously, that's a, a, the biggest driven force. If there's girls, he'll be there. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a finicky one because yeah, he hears stories that they saw a deer once there, never saw him again. Mm-hmm. He could have been asked just passing through. You know, I mean, he could have been on the march from where he was, you know, growing his antlers to where he is going to rut. Yep. So yep. That's not, you know, you you find deer like I've seen deer quite often that early early March, 
you'll either see them or you get them on trail camera and you see them once or twice and they disappear. They hang around for a few days and they keep marching. They're gone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then towards the end of April, you catch them marching back through the same deer. So obviously he's going, he's going somewhere else or he's freaking yeah. that snake. He's right there in front of me. I didn't find him. But, um, yeah, generally, yeah, they'll march on and there's something that drives them back to that area for whatever reason. Mm. Well, so, I think, um, you know, and, and look, to be honest with you, we've probably got, we've definitely got a couple episodes in regards to tips and techniques, um, yeah. you know, because we'll forget everything we, we, we speak about if we go down that line now. But, That's right, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, you sort of mentioned us as what you can do to sort of keep in touch with them. Um, is there anything you wouldn't do now? Um, oh, mate, I just... Unneeded pressure. Like, if there's no need to push them, don't. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, want to, if you want to shoot one, shoot one. That's yeah. fair for whatever reason, whether you want meat, whether you want a frigging head, whatever reason, whether the cocky wants you to shoot one, shoot one. But... Sure. I think there's no need to put pressure on them and upset them if if you don't need to. You know what I mean? Mm. Just let them be comfortable um, and just watch them. Spend yeah. time with them. Take your, get yourself a camera. That's one thing that I've got right into lately and I'm really enjoying it actually is taking photos of them. Mm. Uh, I never thought I would, but, I'll, yeah, I'm liking taking photos of them and just watching them, just, yeah, just watching everything about them. And sometimes they even get comfortable with you being there. Like yeah. certain places that I hunt, like, you know, in the deer, you sit up with, like, especially your vehicle. They get to know your vehicle. You drive through the property and they go, oh, yeah, that frigging so-and-so, he's never frigging shot at us. He's never pulled up, <laughs> he's never pulled up next to us. You know what I mean? And yeah. also, when they see you, like if you're just sitting on a ridge and, you know, in a deer, they just look straight at you. Mm-hmm. And you can tell if they're nervous. Yeah. And sometimes they get, I suppose in one sense, they're like cattle. You spend enough time with them and you walk around the yards with them, they quieten down. So, mm-hmm. but you got to know how far to push them before you upset them. There's a, like a boundary right over. No, that's close enough. Just back off. Yeah. And, um, gotcha. yeah, unless you want to shoot them, you go for it. Do what you got to do. So, but if you don't need to get close, don't get close. I can definitely pick a couple of things up there that you know that I think are major points. You know, before we before I jump species on you, but I think one was getting to know your block. I yeah, that's huge, and and I could probably I can appreciate that from a from my rut this year. You know, some experience overseas as well, where we don't get to, you know, we don't get to spend any time over there. And if you had have known how that country laid, you know, it definitely could have helped you to help the situation that you're in. Um, yeah. But I think that's a really big one. And, and then I think, you know, secondly, the point you just make about, you know, watching the animal, reading the animal, getting to know their, their nature, um, you know, not putting bone pressure, you know, unnecessary pressure on them, but, you know, just enjoying enjoying them as well. You know, and I think yeah. getting to learn them, I think is a big thing because I think that's where a lot of the nerves and all that kind of stuff comes in. You know, when, it, when it comes down to crunch time, when you go to harvest that animal, you got him roaring at you you know, 25 yards and, and you go to a bucket of shit, it's because you probably haven't had, I mean, that's hard for anyone. It doesn't matter how much time you spend around oh, it. But it's, it still happens. It's, yeah, that's definitely. why we do it. 
but knowing a little bit more and being a little bit more comfortable around, especially on a stalk or something like that, and being able to read the hinds and stuff like that, you know, it, it's all got to help with just your own sort of, uh, I guess, your, you know, your little portfolio of knowledge, if that makes sense. Yep. 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 No, too right. No, you're spot on there, mate. Definitely. More time in the bush, the better, and you'll succeed. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, mate, I want to... Um, I want to jump jump ship here. Um, I know yep. you've just been away chasing rooster, and it's that time of the year. We just had Troy Reynolds on and talking about rooster, and and I know it. Uh, it you listened to it a couple of times on your way to the hunt, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah, mate, um, tell us how that sort of that hunt come about, and and uh, the lead up to that, and uh, and 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 I guess what happened. Oh, mate. Um, I suppose the lead up was, mate. I got an invite from a friggin' hell of a good fella. Um, to go on, go for a hunt on his property where he has permission, um, mate. And I didn't. As soon as he mentioned it to me, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I said, mate, you tell me where, when, what, and I'm bringing there. <laughs> where do I like, sign? <laughs> yeah, mate. Because I, you mean, being there is a few rooster around our Queensland area, but not, not. Well, there is some good ones. Like I had a couple good rooster on the wall beforehand, but there's something about that them central north Queensland friggin' rooster. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. twice from my experience, like our southeast Queensland rooster, they look twice the size. Well, they are twice the size. They're, I almost put them the size of an average red deer. I don't mm. know if where, where they were bigger than normal. I'm not too sure. But, mate, they were an impressive animal on the hoof. Um, I think I, I went up there a bit cocky thinking, oh, yeah, it's just a freaking rooster deer. Um, <laughs> but, um, mate, yeah. I think the terrain was quite challenging, flat, and you know, I mean, you, you can only see so far. Like in the hills, you can see a long way sometimes yeah. up when you're looking across valleys, but when it's flat, you can only see so far. And when it's so broken and open, the terrain. Um, but um, yeah, me and a, another mate um, were both successful. We both harvested um, good deer. A real good deer, really. Um, I went up there looking for a particular, like you heard me say earlier, I like different stuff. So I yeah. got two good. I've got two good rooster on the wall beforehand. So I went up there looking for a for a drop tine. I wanted a stag with a drop tine or something gnarly. Okay, and, I'm um, that. Yeah, and the very first morning, like old mate who hunts the place, like he knows the property well and he knows his deer well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he, we found the very first morning we found a drop tine stag and he said mate i'm pretty sure that's the friggin' the bigger drop tine stag of the area that i've noticed and i said well mate i'll friggin' shoot him if you let me and he <laughs> said mate go for it but and, and it ended up being he only had friggin' one antler we worked out when we got okay. closer and he's, and he's like well you want to shoot him or not i said mate i come for a drop tine if he's a good drop tine i'll friggin' take him i didn't care if he didn't only had one antler yeah, um, I was going to save this friggin' for another story, but it's a pretty cool story. But anyway, <laughs> so I friggin' yeah, snuck in, friggin' got a good shot on him, didn't go far, and um, mate, we got down to him. He's only got one antler, and yeah, but he's friggin' cool. Like he's you know thirty six inches long with a big drop time, pretty impressive antler. He's got a brow time oh, and about yeah, he's got a big brow time on the other side and about four or five inches of main beam. Yeah. And, mate, yeah, so I shot him. I was over the moon. Over the moon. I went first day, got what I wanted, and then 
just looked around for a bigger one. Yeah. Anyway, lo and behold, friggin' we're walking through the scrub, me and the me mate and friggin' he goes, Oh mate, I gotta do some paperwork in the scrub quickly. <laughs> so off mate, off he goes. Mate, and I hear him hooping and hollering, freaking coming back out of the scrub and mate, he found the antler that broke off. Are you serious? Dead set. It and like he found this antler and he's like Mate, this is the stag. This is your stag, and I'm like, nah, mate, it can't be. What are the chances? There's a few stags out here with broken antlers. It could be any single one of them. Yeah. He's like, nah, I reckon it's him. So we friggin' threw it on the pack and had it on all day, and then when we got back to the camp, mate. I friggin' got it and it slid in just like the most perfect jigsaw puzzle. And mate, you couldn't like how how that's just lucky. That's Man, that ass. is one of the craziest stories I've ever heard. That is, oh, that is ass. Mate, it's, yeah, it was, I couldn't believe it. It could have been any one of them other stags you could have found, a broken antler. Yeah. And, mate, he found that stag. And it just, so, slot, it just slotted on. Oh, mate, perfect. Just like, just like the perfect jigsaw puzzle. Like, I've got it now zip-tied together. And at first I wasn't going to man him, but now he's got such a frigging story. Yeah. Like, yeah, that thing's mounted and friggin' yeah, it's friggin' Did cool. you go and buy a lotto ticket? No. No, I friggin' I probably should have. What are you doing? <laughs> Holy shit. Uh, friggin', that is yeah. ridiculous. Mate, you yeah. That is not that is not the story I thought I was gonna hear. <laughs> no. That is incredible. Yeah, it's friggin' unbelievable. Couldn't That is you crazy. Couldn't write a story that good. No. No. So, Mate, there you go. It was just one of them ones that was meant to be, mate. You just meant to That's be there on that art. That's it. And then friggin' lo and behold, the other antlers just like when you put it back together, because he hasn't doesn't have the drop time on the other side, he's just friggin' massive. Like mm-hmm. you put him together and he's just I I would consider one of the most perfect friggin' rooster friggin' antlers like trophies. Like I don't think I'll ever come across another rooster stag that good. That's I cool. don't think, let alone with a story like that. Don't even try, mate. No. Don't even try. Just, I'll give up, Bruce. If up. something happens, yeah. it happens, but just don't yeah. try. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then friggin', I think the last day I was lucky enough, like, I took a few photos of a pretty decent stag, and I kept letting him go and letting him go and could have shot him. And I showed the boys the photos, and they're like, you're friggin' nuts, you should have shot him. I'm like, man, I've shot a friggin' good deer. And anyway, they convinced me if I come across him again friggin <laughs> shoot him and mate last day yeah I come across him again and like I'm not one for numbers like but yeah you mean know, I don't know if I'll ever get a chance to chase another rooster deer and I don't, if I do I don't know if I'll find some of that quality mate like you know touch wood I yeah get invited back again which all right, I can't After see that why. Effort, probably not well, mate, I just want to take photos of them. <laughs> help people find other broken antlers. That's run around looking for them. Oh, I wouldn't invite you back. Stuff that is shit all the good shit. So yeah, <laughs> but mate, the like the Queensland rooster. It's another thing that's I didn't realise how good and how many and the quality that is up there. Yeah, like like from my understanding, there's quite a large area of them like they're right in mingling with all the chittle deer and yeah and uh mate it's you know 
as a deer hunter, I think it's awesome. As a farmer, I don't know if it's so so good. Hopefully, you know, I think we've got to start helping the farmers, not just taking advantage of it, you know what I mean, mm. and drop them, a, drop them a few dollars, give them a bit of value in what's eating their, their freaking cattle's grass, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think that, that'll go a long way to keep them there. So otherwise, sooner or later, they'll get too many of them. That's and it. I think, if it, I think it's respectfully done and, and not become a political yeah. auction. If you want to call yep. that, you know, you yep. probably know plenty of stories down in New South Wales ways where, you know, it just becomes an auction. Whoever's got the most yep. money. And I know that yep. sort of comes into it everywhere because that's where that trophy thing jumps into it. But if you turn right. around and actually do it for the reasons that you and I are thinking, you know, in the way yep. that it actually helped the owner and get them just to maybe just sort of say, oh, well, look, they're all right. You know, they're, they're, they're competitive to me cattle and stock. But, um, you know, it's probably a little bit different up there too. They're such big places and... You know, when you put well, that that numbers over those size of places, probably not as bad. But mate, I think um, eventually money will prevail, and yeah. um, the the cocky will either shoot the freaking lot of them, yeah. or he won't want them there, or he's gonna see right. Oh, I can make value in it. I can make a bit of value out of this, a bit of money, mm. and which is understandable. Like, yeah, you can't uh, argue with it. No, and if someone's gonna. I mean, it's sad that one day I think it's going to... I can see Australia very much so eventually all the private land with quality animals will be tied up. Yeah. And and it's going to cost us money to hunt them. Mm. It has to. Because they're either going to shoot them or they're going to go, right, oh, there's value in this thing. I yep. might as well make dollars out of it. Yeah. So yep. I think while you can, you know what I mean? Show the farmer you appreciate it, you know, mm-hmm. even if it's freaking prawns and a box of beer, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that it goes a long way. And the cocky will tell you a dozen times, mate, no, I don't want it. Freaking do it. Yeah. Just because they won't, once you give it to them, you know, and they're not going to push it back to you. They're going to go, oh, yeah. He's, yeah, he's a good fellow. Like, I'll have him back. Mm. So, yeah, no, that's so, all I can say. That little bit of thought place. goes a long way. Yep, yep. Definitely. Well, so you obviously you've you've ticked the rooster off then. So you just yeah you've done with that. Well, yeah, mate, done I'll, a rooster. Done a rooster hunt. Done tick. Done a rooster hunt. Um, <laughs> mate, done a chittle. Got got good chittle. Got some pretty good fallow. Got a few good reds. Mm-hmm. Um, just them friggin' southern ones that are all the way down there. Them friggin' samba and um and a little hog deer one day if I'm lucky mm. enough to friggin'. Draw a tag. I'll keep frigging. And then the worst keep thing on. is the frigging season's in the middle of the red rut. So yeah, so you're in a lot of trouble there. I know. I'd pro- yeah. I don't know Jeez. how I'm going to go about that. Jeez. So, I want to hear that year that you draw that hog deer tag and how you handle that. So I don't know what I'll do. <laughs> <laughs> what so, um, jumping down the down the hoop of what's your dream hunt and it's not allowed to be red deer. I might have to be an elk. Yep. Have to I be think, an elk. I think you'll do pretty well on them because they've got very, very similar habits to the way you've been talking today. So well, like, I think uh, uh, we'll it's talk, something we're going to talk yeah. later in the year. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no. Stuff organized for you, but. got goosebumps just mentioning it just now. Like, it's something that I've, um, one, yeah, got to do and will do. Um, mm-hmm. and I think once I do it once, 
it's just going to be like a friggin' another red rut every six months. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think it's going to be a bug. It's going to be hard to shake. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, I, can, I mean, and I'll, and I'll drop it now. Um, you know, for anyone listening, I know I've spoken to you about it, but, you know, we do have something in the works so it's going to come out later. I'll roll out end of this year, which is going to be a an extension of the hunting camp down under. Um, you know, we'll be helping the guys like yourself and that get over and chase the elk and, and the different species that are over there. The biggest yep. thing I can probably say is it doesn't cost or it doesn't have to cost a lot of money and it doesn't yep. have to be a battle of over-the-counter versus all these other hundreds of hunters. You know, there's there's wheels yep. and ways around it. There's a little yep. bit of um, planning involved. You know, it's probably not going to yep. something that happen tomorrow or next year. But if we yep. plan it right, give you guys a, f- a few options, you guys are going to yeah, be mate, some awesome so- hunts. Um, there's yeah. a lot more. There's yeah. a lot more to Colorado over the counter that you see a lot of television shows and you know a lot of the you know there's a big thing about you know public land do it yourself which is all fine. That's that's what it's all about. But yep. certainly you know I've learned so much through outfitted hunts. Um, obviously I've got to the point where I've got a little bit of experience over there. Certainly no no expert, but obviously yep. I'll start pushing into more sort of DIY sort of stuff and my plan is to spend just more time over there. So if I've got a 10-day season, I'll spend 20 days there. So the first 10 days is scouting. Yeah. Um, because it's pointless scouting. It's like a little, this is where I've got to go on with the red deer. It's pointless scouting three months earlier because the red deer, the stag is going to be completely different. It's exactly the same as the elk. The bulls yep. are going to be completely different. So my idea is to get over there a little bit earlier. Yep. And, um, and that's sort of how I'm going to work it rather than hire an outfitter because I've got that little bit of experience with them. Rather than hire an yep. outfitter, if I draw some crazy tag, it's once in a lifetime. Sure, I'm not going to waste it. Nah. So that's what you know. Obviously, just letting people in a little bit. I know you and I have spoken about it. Yeah, you know, we'll get some plans together for everybody, and um, you know, we'll we'll hopefully see you guys getting over there and, and smacking a few decent sort of bulls and obviously mule deer yep. on the cards. And yeah, you know, yeah. They're, the, they're the two standouts that are very very easily achieved, and it doesn't have to yep. cost you. You know, honestly, you know, not much more than you know your plane flights, accommodation, car hire. Um, yeah. You know, for a couple of years planning, we can have that happen, and, and you're going to be in an area where maybe tags are a little bit more limited, and yep. um, you know, you're not, you might be up against a, you know other hunters, but you're not going to be up against a crowd of three thousand. You know what I mean? Where anybody's any man you talk yeah. can be on there. Yeah, I think that's definitely a big plus. Yeah, I think that's a, a, probably what frightens a lot of people is you know what i mean yeah well, is you well, see it's a lot of money of, you know it is a lot of money yeah. no matter whether it's just the flights and that and my biggest thing to everyone out there is is i want i want to see everybody do it and yeah. as many as people as possible not that the american guys want us stealing their tags but yeah they've got their opportunity around the corner so who cares but that's it you know exactly. it's, um, it is an experience that we must and, and i must admit it, you know the more we can make it affordable and have that planning strategy, whether it's a one-year plan, a five-year plan, or a 10. Whether you want yep. to be like me, get over there every year, or you want to get over there every five years, there's a plan that we can sort of you know, set up to make that work yep. and you know, and, and make quality out of it, not just going over there and you know, just walk around the bush. We can do that here. You know, yeah, that's so right. We, we want exactly. To get, want, you know, for that effort, it's good to, you know, to really get in. You may not harvest one, but to be involved with the... Now, get in amongst a few elk and stuff like that. Here at Bugle, you know, there's areas you can go over there that you can get a count, you can get a tag over the counter. Yeah, you may not ever I reckon, hear a Bugle. You know, I reckon, 
Yeah, I reckon just to hear a bugle would friggin' be enough for me for the first trip, you know what I mean? If you got to hear a bugle at close quarters, like, yeah, you just yeah. see them DVDs at Monster Bulls and this and that, and yep. yeah, no, it's pretty impressive animal. Yeah, it's so. just, it's like that, you know, you mentioned it very early in the podcast about that experience with the with the red deer. It's very, very similar, mate. They're, they're so close. In all honesty, you know, for, for someone like yourself and anybody else out there that hasn't been over there and done it, but is very comfortable with red deer and you're going to do really well it's uh yeah if you put those same tactics together um to the point you know with all the calling and stuff like that i'll be honest with you you know i probably won't go down a huge calling line as much as fun as that interaction is i think yeah. harvest harvest the, the quality more mature and i you'll probably back me up on this later with the red deer but yeah um i think you're more mature and mature sort of elk and that kind of thing the less calling probably the better um, Mate, once again, it comes back to comes back to what state and that you're in. You know, there's areas in Arizona and states like that where they let you know a non-resident. There might be three non-resident tags a year. Obviously, competition yeah. is not a problem. You know, so elk are going to be completely oblivious to to a call. They're just going to go, oh, you know, a cow elk, beautiful. Um, yeah, not knowing it's a hunter boy. You can go to other areas that are very populated with hunters. Every man his dog's tooting on a call. So, you know, they, yeah. they wise up pretty quickly. I could imagine. I could imagine. But, yeah, you touch on something exactly like the big smart stags, red stags here, mate. They're generally your quietest ones. Yeah. I can't wait to jump down that one. That's going to be a good one. So we'll line yeah. that up. So everybody that, uh, that's listening, we'll line that up for just before the, the rut next year. Um, we'll get Jake back on and... We'll, we'll just jump straight into tips and te- techniques on that one and um, hopefully get a few guys, you know, in front of a few more big stags. and Yeah. And um, then yeah. you can take full credit, mate. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'd know about that. <laughs> I'd know about that. But, yeah, no, nah, sounds good, mate. Sounds awesome, real good. Mate. Well, mate, thank you so much for um, we're pretty much just doing everything on the hop, mate. We, uh, as I said, we don't. We don't jot anything down. We just we just had this as a conversation, and mate, you've done really well. You, you know, you speak very well, and the passion sort of just oozes through in your conversation. And and um, you know, credit to you in the way you display yourself. And I, I must have, I've got to ask as well. You you've got your Instagram handle is how do I pronounce it? Antler Antler Anarchy. That's the one. Antler Anarchy. Yeah. No, that's. Um... Tell me about it. Oh, mate, that's something me and me. Oh, to be honest, the reason Antler Anarchy was ever Antler Anarchy was I got sick of, like, you see a handful of shirts and hats and stuff around. Um, I mean, we're not a, we're not big by any means. We don't push it. But I got sick of seeing everyone with a friggin' shirt with a white tail on it or a mule deer <laughs> or an elk. I mean, just... And so we just come up with a shirt and a and a hat with a red deer red you know red deer on it and um, yep. I think um, in the future I think I'd like to go a little bit further with it and bring mm-hmm. out some more Australian like iconic sort of stuff you know what I mean yeah sweet so, yeah no it's awesome. um, so you um it's, like obviously you've got shorts shirts not available now or. Oh mate, we have we carry a small amount of stock. To be honest, we haven't um, 
gone massive into it. Um, the last 12 months, we've been building a house, and I've been tipping every spare dollar and every spare bit of time I've got into that. So pretty much um, you've had a life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've lived, I have lived the normal life, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I'd like to um, one day in the near future, it might, yeah, it'll be something that, yeah, there'll be a website and at the moment it's just people when they, when they come over, I see people, you know what I mean, they buy a shirt or a hat and there's been a handful of people contact me and, yeah, we, we send them on, on them out. But, no, we haven't pushed it in such a way, in a massive way. Um, yep. I don't know if the ATO's listening, but... Um, it was mainly just a tax dodge. <laughs> if they are, if they are, I'm pumped. I've, I've made right it. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, that's the that's the the, the nitty and gritty behind it. To be honest, so sweet mate, yeah. that's cool. So the best way to um, you know, anybody, and I'm I'm sure you, I know you're definitely open to this because uh, you've already helped out some listeners before. Um, but the best way to contact you, mate, is is probably through yeah, Ant- mate, you on uh, on on Instagram there. Yep, yep, yep. Antler Anarchy on Instagram or on Facebook, Jake Gasparowski. Um, it's a hell of a last name, but yeah. Hence, you know why I didn't even mention it at the start of the podcast. Oh, yeah, I thought that. I thought, <laughs> but yeah, Gasparowski, so European originally. So, but um, yeah, if, mate, if someone, for whatever reason, if they want to ask me something, if they want a hand with a bow, I'm more than willing. I love helping people, I love people getting the best out of enjoyment out of the sport. It's friggin' awesome. I wish more people did it. Now, credit to you, mate. Um, anyone in south southeast of Queensland there, mate, if you yeah, if anyone's out there needs a little bit of tech help and a bit of tune and help, um, make sure you get hold of Jake and he's been uh, he's been approved by the Mr Brad Murphy, so he must be all right. <laughs> nah, I'll take that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well mate, uh yeah, it's getting on now, mate. So, because I had to start so late, but thank you again so much for your time, mate. I, uh, I really appreciate you putting up with me, and um, mate, keep doing what you do, and we'll know to catch up, and uh, probably, which is scary enough, only a few months away when we uh, start and get back into the the red deer out of Australia. Mate, it's not long now. I can oh. every day. Yeah, it's God. not long. Now. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, mate, but, but yeah, no, nah, thanks for the opportunity. Good having a chat, eh? Yeah, it was awesome, mate. I think there was no better way. You know, we're obviously going to catch up for a phone call anyway, and so I thought I might as well hit the record button, mate, and, you know, let everybody else hear it as well. So, but, um, mate, I better leave this room so the little one can go to sleep. We've got a, uh, yeah. we've got a seven-day-year-old in the house now, so I'm up shit creek, so. Yep. Yeah, three, no. three weeks three weeks out of Alaska, so <laughs> I'm in the good books. But anyway, well, well, mate, I, I hope you freaking smack a big old gateway over there too. Freaking yeah, so do all, mate. It's uh, it's going to be an epic trick. But uh, just don't know how I'm going to. I'm trying to record something over there on the mountain. I just got to. I got to carry everything up on the mountains for ten days. So I'll work something out. We'll, uh, you will. The boys are filming it anyway. So Brad Brad Smith and Jerry Redmond. Are, from Bo aren't done under their film that too, so she's going to be a pretty epic film coming out of that one. So we'll, hey, um, one way or another, someone will get to experience it. Them boys are freaking doing some awesome shit, aren't they? Oh, they're mate, they're just another level, another level. Mate. I just can't wait for everyone to see what they're doing. It's just, oh. I'm fortunate enough to have seen the, you know, the draft copy. They're just, 
they want to make it perfect. I've had a few people say, where is it? But they just want to make it right. They really want to do everything in the right way. And, um, yeah. you know, credit to them. They've got too much, more patience than I do. But, um, yeah, nah, they're, they're, there's big things coming for them, boys. Yeah, I expect nothing from the best from them. That'll be frigging shit off. Definitely, definitely. Well, good on you, mate. I'll let you go. You go to bed now. Probably got to go to work. Hello, bud. Take care. Awesome, buddy. Talk to you soon, eh? Guys, thanks for listening to another episode of Hunting Camp Down Under. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Hoyt Bowhunting. Year after year, Hoyt continue to be an industry leader. Hoyt have just released their new model bow for this year with a new alloy riser, Hoyt Nitrix. Featuring many of the premium technologies found on the Hoyt's higher-end models at a much friendlier price tag. Our friends at Abbey Archery have already received their first shipment and are ready for delivery. That's all from me this week. Good luck in the hills and I look forward to you joining me on the next episode of the Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.